Good morning. Morning. <laughs> Good afternoon. We have some announcements. Feeding the homeless, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. Right, girls? On Wednesdays. And the next women's study is August 4th, right? 6 p.m. Yep. The next men's studies, August 6th at 9 a.m. And the next year's night. Probably when kids go back to school. Yeah. yeah. When school starts up again. What is TB? To be determined. Tuberculosis. Oh, look. <laughs> That's an old acronym. That's not one of the new ones. <laughs> I don't think we have texted that way. Yeah, I'm just saying that That's true. the TBD was an acronym before there was texting. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, all the other acronyms are new. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the work that you do in each one of our lives. I'm thankful for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I ask you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear your words to speak to us, to guide us, to lead us. Lord, I'm thankful for you know, the work that you've done on the cross, Jesus, for the forgiveness in each and every one of our sins. I ask you to watch over everyone in this room today, that you would bless us, that you would keep us safe and healthy, free from harm, and that you would watch over us as we go out into the world. Help us to be a light and a witness this week, the rest of this day, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we'll be in Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> but before we start in Romans chapter 6, we're going to start in the last two verses of chapter 5. So we can put the beginning of chapter 6 into context. We went over this last week, but it'll be a reminder. In case you forgot what the last two verses were. <laughs> so we'll start Romans 5, chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And then we'll get into chapter 6. So Romans 5, 20. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is going to put it in context what we're about to read in chapter 6, but God's forgiveness is unending. There's nothing that we can't be forgiven for. We've been over that. Um, the only sin that isn't forgiven is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which we learned was really the, your unbelief in Jesus. And that God's grace here is undeserved favor, his undeserved merit, the undeserved gift of eternal life. There's nothing we've done to deserve that or to earn that. But it's his grace that gives that. Um, and that's what his grace is, is his undeserved favor in our lives. 
We don't deserve the good things that he does for us, but he does them because he loves us and it's undeserved. There's nothing we can do to earn his love or his favor, that he gives it to us just because of who he is, because of his character. So now with that, now we can get into Romans chapter 6. So keep that in mind of what we just went over. Well then, should we keep on sending so that God can show more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with, Je- with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So I want to look... This is all in the New Living Translation, but I want to look at verse 3 and 4 in the New American Standard Bible. I think it makes it just a little bit more clear, especially as it relates to the baptism, as we're going to get into that today. So, verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So, this is what baptism signifies. You were baptized, you went down into the water, that your old sinful life is washed away, and when you come out, you come out a new person, a newness of life. Um, baptism is meant as an outward expression for an inward change in our lives. When you got saved and asked Jesus into your heart, that was probably something you did more privately, just between you and God. And baptism is your chance to express to the rest of the world that you've made this change, that you've asked Jesus into your life and into your heart, um, and that you want to live in that newness of life. You want to show others that you once were dead in your sins, but now, because of Jesus, you have a new life, um, having that clean new life to live. So, the word baptism here is the, the Greek word baptismo, which, when you look it up, it means to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe, to overwhelm. So that's the definition of it. So it doesn't, it's not a sprinkling, it's not a drop, it's not, um, it's a immersion, submersion, being bathed all over from head to toe, being cleaned, um, not in a literal sense, but in a figurative sense, in a spiritual sense, a changed life, um, so, but, so we, we believe in the full submersion baptism, you can go fully under, um, but not just because of the definition you find in the Greek word. If we go over to Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, we'll see what did Jesus say about baptism and how was he baptized. And that's probably more of the reason is why we believe in the full submersion baptism 
as an adult. Not that you can't do it as a kid. I've done it as a kid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so we'll look here at Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And we'll see what happened when Jesus was baptized um, leading up to this. So Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. So Jesus was baptized for the simple reason, because God requires it. Um, required in the sense of obedience, that we're to obey God, not requires it in the sense of salvation, right? And we know this when we look at the thief on the cross. We talked about him last week, and he asked, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. So he had repented of his sins. Um, he had looked to Jesus as his Savior, and Jesus saved him, right? But he didn't come down off the cross and go get baptized and then get saved. He was saved by his faith. So baptism doesn't save us. It's not a requirement for salvation, but it's a requirement to be obedient to God because God has asked us to be baptized. And because Jesus gives us that example of baptism, right? Jesus himself was baptized. So if he leads by example, aren't we to follow him in what he did? And so as an adult, he went and got baptized in the water, right? And that's what we'll continue reading here. So after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. So we read here that as an adult, Jesus was fully submerged in the water and came up out of the water, right? Full body submersion as an adult. That's the example he set for us. And that's the example that we follow in. So if children want to be baptized, that's great. What did Jesus say? Let the little ones come to me. But at some point, even if you were baptized as a child, as an adult, you should probably be baptized when you have a fuller understanding of what that means. What does that mean to follow Jesus? What does that mean to live this new life? Um, we got taught when we were in Castle Rock, Dave, who was a, was a pastor, grew up in the Catholic Church, so was baptized as an infant, and then later got baptized as a teenager. And then quite a few years later, he had it. It started his church, has been a pastor for a while, and God puts it on his heart, well, Dave, you need to be baptized. And he kind of argued with it for a minute. Well, I was baptized when I was 15 or 16, and, and he just felt that God say, well, did you really understand what you were doing? Did you really understand what you were um, accepting? And so he, as an adult, as a pastor, got baptized, you know, where he had baptized all these other people before, and now he himself... God had put on his heart to get baptized. So, and he did, and he was obedient. Um, I'm sure he had to humble himself. You know, you think of yourself as a as a pastor having to go get baptized. Like you should have done that first, but but he did, and that was a just a impactful story for us when we heard that of what that means. You know, that 
as an adult were you were you baptized did you receive jesus and and did you set that example did you follow in jesus example so but with that understanding and since we're here i do want to talk about the the descending like a dove the holy spirit coming down on jesus so john sees this and this is john the baptist that sees this and this is important and if we're going to go over to John, the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 1, verse 32, and just get a fuller understanding of, of the significance of this, of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, and why that's important and why that's noted here. Let me get a little backstory. And that's the great thing about the Bible is that when you look at it, the whole Bible, that you get a lot fuller understanding of what God's doing and what God's explaining to us. So, this is John the Baptist is talking. Then John testified, that's John the Baptist. This book is written by John the Apostle. Two different people. Um, but John the Baptist is talking here, and he talks about what God has shown him and what God has told him. Uh, so, John chapter 1, verse 32. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. The him he's talking about is Jesus. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. So he didn't know that Jesus, his cousin, who he probably grew up with, playing games with, spending family time with, that he was the Messiah. But God from heaven, when God sent John the Baptist out to baptize people with water, he said, I'm going to give you this sign. The one you see the Spirit descend on is the one, the Messiah, the one that you're preparing the way for. And John got to see that when he baptized Jesus. So that's why when we read that in Matthew's account, that's the significance. So John, God has spoken to John directly. This is the Messiah, right? God's made that very clear. And John has received that. John the Baptist receives that. But later we read when he was in prison, John the Baptist sent his disciples to go out and ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah or should we keep looking? So even John who is this great prophet, and Jesus said he is a great prophet, has this doubt that he's, God's made it very clear to John the Baptist who Jesus is. Um, but even, even when it's not going John's way, when he's in prison, thinking that, well, the Messiah is here, we should be ruling over the Roman Empire, we should be conquerors and kings. No, this, I shouldn't be in prison this isn't the way it should go. Somehow God must have gotten this wrong. Let me go and question him. Let me go and ask him, are you really the Messiah or should we keep looking? You know, obviously your power isn't very powerful because here I'm in prison and this isn't the way it should go in my life. So even John, this great prophet, amazing man, has doubts and fears. And how often does that happen to us where God does something amazing in our lives? God works in a way that can only be explained by him. And we doubt later on. You know, oftentimes God will do a work in our lives and we'll receive it as only something that God can do, only to ra try and rationalize it out months later or years later 
well, that wasn't really a miracle. That was, this is probably how that happened. And that's the enemy trying to take what God has done away from us. Just as the enemy tried to take what God had clearly shown John the Baptist away from him. And, and that's a danger that we all have in our lives. We all, all are tempted to, to water down what God has done in our lives, to water down the work that God has done, to water down his word, to, to this doesn't fit my situation. This doesn't fit my immediate need. Is God really on the throne? And the answer is yes, he is. And nothing's changed. And for John the Baptist, he would, wouldn't leave prison, but he would go to paradise. And while he couldn't see that in the short time, in the long time, the work he did was a mighty work for the kingdom of God. And God recognized that. Jesus recognized that. And he's been rewarded. So his suffering was over, and paradise is what awaited him. And we learned yes, last week about what paradise was. It was Abraham's bosom, the compartment of the righteous dead. That's where he went because Jesus was the first fruits to go to heaven. We learned that last week, right? So, okay. So that was a little side trail. We'll go back to Romans chapter 6. And we'll pick it up again in verse 5. So since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will li also live with him. So we are no longer slaves to sin. We are free from the power of sin. That's the important thing that we read. Continuing on in verse 9. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you, should, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So we're dead to the power of sin is what he's telling us. And we are alive to serve God through the work that Jesus has done in each one of our lives. Right? So to take a, a little further look at this, we're going to go over to Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. Um, and we're going to look at how is it that sin no longer has any power over us. And how is God able to wipe our record clean? We've been over this. When we're forgiven... God doesn't just forgive us. He removes it from our record, never brings it up again. We get to see that in the, the people of the Old Testament and the things that they've done. And we read in the New Testament, God's recollection of them, the, rep, the record is wiped clean. He doesn't bring up any of that anymore. They've been forgiven, removed from their record. So, but Col Colossians chapter 2 verse 12 gives us a, a better understanding of of how this is and why this is this way. God explains it to us. He doesn't just leave us wondering. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life 
because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. So he forgave all of our sins, not some of our sins, not most of our sins, but all of our sins, right? And again, we get this example of baptism, that we were dead, but our sins died when we were baptized, our sinful life died, and we came up in a new life. The power of sin has no hold over us anymore. We were raised to a new life because of the work that Jesus has done. So we'll continue on in verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So God is able to remove the sins from our record because he nailed them to the cross. Jesus paid the price for each and every one of our sins. So the, the sins that we ask for forgiveness for are taken off of our record and put onto his, put onto the cross. And they were died there. That's how he can remove them from our record. That's how he can never bring them up again. That's how we can be set free from sin. So Jesus took our sins so that we could be set free and have a life in him. We could never repay this. The only way you can repay something like this is to live a life that honors him, that serves him, right? Living lives that obey his commands, denying ourselves daily, picking up our crosses and following Jesus. We read about that in Luke 9, 23. Um, Then why does sin no longer have power over us when we believe in Jesus' finished work on the cross? Well, we read here because he disarmed the spiritual rulers um, and authorities. He disarmed them from, from any power. That his victory on the cross, that his death on the cross, his sinless death on the cross couldn't hold him. That the battle was over. The war was won right then and there. Uh, sin no longer has power over our lives. The, the enemy no longer has power over our lives. Only the power and authority that we give it. So... Let's go back to to Romans 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 12. So, we have an understanding now of why and how God can remove the sin from our record, like he does. Like we've seen the examples of in Abraham's life, right? In David's life, and Sarah's life, or some of the people that we've looked at in the Old Testament, and then looked at their accounts in the New Testament, either in the book of Romans or in the book of Hebrews, and that the they're counted as faithful, they're counted as righteous people, that their sins have truly been removed from their record because we don't find any of that after Jesus' death on the cross, after all of their sins, all of our sins were nailed to the cross. That's how God can remove them from our record. So we'll continue on Romans 6 verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So you so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, 
for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that if your hand or your eye causes you to sin, to remove them. Now he's not talking literally here. He's not talking about cutting off your hand literally. But he's making it very clear of how strictly God views sin. And how severely we should look at the sin in our lives. That we should take severe, drastic actions to remove that sin from our lives. Remove ourselves from people who cause us to sin. Remove ourselves from situations that lead us to sin. That we should take that same strictness, that same urgency, that same severity in our lives when it comes to sin. That's what he's talking about. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to your sinful desires. Um, that sin is no longer your master. That you have a new life in Christ Jesus. The old sinful ways are gone. We are going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, and just take away a look at some of the sins in our lives. And what does God further say about that? Um, but Paul makes it very clear here that the once we were a slave to sin, the once you couldn't do anything but sin, but because of the work Jesus has done, because of his victory on the cross, we can be set free from that. When we trust in him, when we believe that he is who he says he is, that he is more powerful than sin, we can truly live a life free from sin. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31, we're told, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So here, Paul contrasts the things that we should not be doing with the things that we should be doing. So obviously, I think we all agree that there's certain things that we shouldn't be doing, that they're sinful things, but there's also things that we're supposed to be doing, and when we don't do those, that's sinful. So... We are always to forgive others, just as God has forgiven us. He makes that clear. So when we don't forgive others, then we're living in sin. We're choosing not to obey God. Um, some other places that make this a little clearer, too, is James chapter 4, verse 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it, right? So there's sinful things that we can do. But there's things that we don't do that cause us to sin also. And what did Jesus say in, in John chapter 14, verse 15? If you love me, obey my commands, right? So obeying his commands is loving Jesus and not obeying his commands is sin. No, sin is just not the things that we need to stay away from. But we can be in sin when we don't do the things that God has told us to do. You know, think of Jonah in the big fish. He was told to go to Nineveh, and he didn't. Was he living in sin? Yes, he was. And did God correct that? Yes, he did. So, if we love Jesus, we obey his commands. And we're commanded to love God. We're commanded to love our neighbors, to love ourselves. We're commanded to love our enemies. We're commanded to pray for our enemies. We're commanded to serve others. 
We're commanded to deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow Jesus. Um, To not do these things is to live in sin. But when we find ourselves, not if, but when we find ourselves living in sin, God is quick to forgive us and remove our sins. We were always taught that the sign of a mature Christian is how long does it take you to ask for forgiveness for your sins? How long do you spend arguing with God? Well, this really wasn't that bad. Getting mad at this person, they kind of deserved it. They had it coming. I was in the right. No, you're arguing with God. You were living in sin. Just be quick to ask God to forgive you. You know, if that takes you weeks to do that, to come to that, well, when that get to the point where that takes you minutes, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for losing my temper with that person. Now that's a sign of becoming a mature Christian. You know, you're no longer arguing with God, trying to rationalize your way out of it. You're not like John the Baptist sitting in prison. Well, this can't be the way it is, right? You're a mature Christian. You're agreeing with God quickly. We all sin. We all fall short of his glory. And even though we're no longer a slave to sin, we still have this sinful nature. And Paul is going to make this clear to us in the next chapter of Romans. That why do I do the things he hate, he says. So he lives this life that's, that's um, a mature Christian life, but he still finds himself in sin. So, and he's, it's a constant battle for all of us, as it was for Paul. So getting back to Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. So Christ has set us free from the powers of sin, but we can still choose to live in sin, or we can choose to obey God and live a righteous life. Not a perfect life, not a sinless life, but a life with a lot less sin and a lot more repentance. So continue on in verse 18. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves... Be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which leads ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the powers of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And what happens when we find ourselves daily living in sin, then daily we should be asking God to forgive us for each specific sin. Not just praying, God, forgive me for my sins, 
But tell him, tell him the sins you committed. God, forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for losing my patience. God, forgive me for being selfish. God, forgive me for being prideful. God, forgive me for this situation. When you get specific with God, God meets you where you're at. And what does Paul say here? I always find verse 21 very interesting. And what was the result of all this? Now you're ashamed of the things that you used to do. And how true is that? The things that we used to do, the worldly things, now you're ashamed of. God's removed us from that, has separated us from that, has made that clear to us that that's not the way we're to live our lives. Um, but God doesn't leave us there. He finishes off those this section of scripture with, but the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So God doesn't leave us in our sins. He forgives us for them. He removes them from our record. He has nailed them to the cross. He put them on Jesus' account. Jesus paid the price for each and every one of our sins that we can truly be forgiven, set free from a life of sin, set free from the power that sin once held over us, no longer has. Jesus had defeated all of those rulers and principalities and authorities on the cross. There is no power in them, only the power that we give them. Um, so, in your prayer life, ask for forgiveness of sins. Ask God to fill you with, your, with his Holy Spirit. Ask for a life that is less of us, less sinful desires, and more of him. More of his leading, more of his guiding, more of his power, more of his work done in our lives. Less of us and more of him. And believe that his power is more powerful to free us from the things that we've grown to hate. The sin that does live in our lives. And that's it. Do you have questions? I actually do. Do you? Can you explain that I'm, this is off. John that we were just in, that's John the Baptist. The, the book we were just in? Yeah. That was John the Apostle that wrote the book. And, he, and he's writing, writing about, John, about the John the Baptist there. Okay, I thought you said something else. And then... I might have. Well, no, I don't, I don't know. I was getting lost. So then you have First and Second John. Also written by John the Apostle. All by John the Apostle? Yes. So John, and then First and Second John is all written by John the Apostle. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm just asking yeah. because I'm, I get no. confused. And when talking about it, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a legit question. Yep. It is. Just saying. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And for Revelation, it's to be and he is. John the Baptist there was talking. So he's, John the Baptist has given the account to John the Apostle of what had happened. And John the Apostle wrote it down. Okay, because I was thinking, I don't know if you and I were thinking the same thing. I think it was probably. Because it sounds like John the Baptist talking, but you're saying John the Apostle wrote what John the Baptist was saying. So you just say, John. The explanation there is that you have Simon. The apostles, we have Simon and Andrew, who are brothers, right? The fishermen. Then you have John's and James, 
John and James, who are fishermen, fishermen. and that these two families seem to have been fairly close. Because every time that they're talked about in the scriptures, it's usually the four of them together, or sometimes Andrew's not listed, but it's Peter, James, and John. And John is the one that he always refers to himself as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, John is the one that's got laying his head on Jesus' chest as they're talking. You know, that's John. One belief is that, well, we know that, but, you know, one belief is that John, the apostle, James's brother, that he was a follower of John the Baptist, and so was Andrew. So this explanation of, well, when did John the Baptist give this account to John the apostle? Well, I would say it was probably when John the apostle was still following John the Baptist before he changed and followed Jesus as a disciple. So John the Apostle is the writer of John. The book, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, then first and second John. First, second, and third John. First, second, third John. Yeah. Okay, but then also Revelation. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, when the kid gets baptized, does that mean it doesn't count? No, it absolutely no, it absolutely counts. But all we're reading is that Jesus, if we follow His example, if He leads us and He leads by example, we read that oftentimes He goes and prays, right? He spends lots of time in prayer, so that's the example He sets for us. But when we read His account of Him being baptized, we read that as an adult He got baptized, went fully in the water and fully out. Some people think that you just get baptized just by dropping some water on your forehead or putting some water on your head or sprinkling you. But that's just not what we read that Jesus did. He went fully into the water, and then when he came out of the water is when the Holy Spirit descended on him, but he did it as an adult. So it absolutely counts to be baptized as a kid, but later on in life as an adult, you should choose to make that decision again. Does that make sense? Because you have a good understanding now as a kid, but as an adult, you have an even fuller understanding. Makes sense? Yeah. But it doesn't, even if you're not baptized, it doesn't mean that you haven't accepted Jesus into your heart. Yes. Because I think that gets a whole nother people going. Yep. Because I think some people think we have to be baptized, and then some people think you don't. I mean, it's all, when Jesus is asked into your heart, that's, that's, that's one separate thing. Baptism is a, it's an obedience thing. He just asks us to do it. Yeah. Okay. It's not, be, he doesn't save do us if we're baptized. Right. So infant's baptism, does it count? <laughs> <laughs> does it count? Well, I don't know. They probably definitely don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. They don't know what's going on. So, uh, no. And what our, our church believes is that, you know, at the infants, you do a dedication. You dedicate right. them to the Lord. And then you read that in Samuel. Yeah. Samuel yeah, was dedicated to the Lord. <laughs> the infant baptism. You should probably, like Dave, go get baptized again. <laughs> As an adult, we, we got baptized again because, again, we were raised Catholic, and so it's just we were like, okay, I think this is what we need to do. Yeah, I was as adults Catholic as well, and I think someone explained it to me. It was that it was it's like when you have that understanding that you because as a child, obviously as a baby and an infant, how could you understand? 
But I think that the Catholic religion isn't that that they have to be baptized because it absolves them from what is it? Mortal sin or something like that? Original sin. Some kind of sin. But yeah, but I finally understood that. And I did get baptized again when I did have a better understanding. And it took me a while to accept that and feel like I was worthy of it, to be quite honest with you. It's it, yeah. Joel was baptized as a baby, but that was in the Catholic Church. What? You get ba- you can get baptized in your baby? Well, that's what we're just some, saying. Some churches was, believe in that. But when I say baptized with him, all my kids were baptized with mm-hmm. baby. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, wasn't a, oh, yeah. it wasn't a submersion. It was, right? It was just the oil. Yeah. Just sprinkling on the forehead. Just so you know, Joel. Just so you know. He's like, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Babies are screaming. Yeah. Five years ago? No, he was probably six months old. Oh. Maybe. So it was like 27 years ago? Mm-hmm. And he wore a really pretty dress. <laughs> <laughs> he wore a dress? Did anyone get that? Actually, I had some videos, but uh, yeah. They're old. No? What happened? I don't know. Actually, have to find him. Huh? You have to try and find him. Yeah. On VHS? I don't have seen them on VHS. <laughs> and there was, there was, they're old. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, you can't play it anymore. So yeah. it's kind of like, you're almost, you can't play a CD anymore. That's right. It was like, a, it's all, it was like, did, your kids did it too, I'm sure they had like a beautiful like, oh yeah. Well, I do play it for the boys. Yeah. But it's kind of like uh, fasting. So yeah. Jesus said, not if you fast, but when you fast, don't do it like the Pharisees. So that's his command. This is what you're supposed to do. But baptism, it comes up, you only read about the fasting once. So it's important to do it. But baptism you read about quite often in the Bible, to be baptized. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he tells them to go out and baptize all the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can read about baptism oftentimes, so it makes it more significant that it, this is something higher in God's commands of things to do that we should be doing, because you read about it more often in the Bible. So not that anything in God's commands you shouldn't do, but you should. this is one that you should take probably as higher importance if, over some of the other commands, like fasting, where you only read about that once that Jesus commanded us to fast. Yeah. Okay. Do you have one more question? Yes. Did, when you were a kid, do you remember? Being baptized as an infant? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I remember being baptized when I was at six. Okay. And if anybody says that they remember at six months, they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> liar fishes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I Rabbit. Do we have any prayer requests? I do. You do? No. I'm just um, praying that the next thing is that um, I find somebody who leaves the spot out mm-hmm. that I'm in. Okay.
Anything else? Okay, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time to come together to learn about you, to worship you in freedom. Um, I'm thankful for the country that we live in. I just ask you would watch over this nation, that you would watch over the, the leadership in this county and in this state and in this nation, that you've put them there for a reason, that they would choose to follow you, that they would choose to make the decisions that you've called them to make. Um, that you would guide them, that there would be many that would turn to you, that there would be a revival to sweep across this nation. I just ask you would watch over us, guide us, draw us closer to you. I ask you would watch over um, Matt and you'd bring healing to his knees, that you would bring healing and comfort and guidance to Tim, um, that you would comfort Austin and Joey and Chris, um, you would give patience and wisdom and strength to Cherry and to all of her family. Um, you would bring peace for David. You would bring healing for Christina's heart. You would guide the doctors in their treatment. Um, you would bring healing to Tyler's shoulder, bring healing to Rodney's back, um, and that you would bring healing to Leslie's eyes. Um, just ask you would give each of us the right words to speak this week, that we'd be a light and a witness to you, that you would give us a good week, um, that you would find someone to lease Shannon's space, that you would watch over Nate and Kate, that you would guide them, draw them closer to you. Lord, I ask you would watch over this fellowship, that you would guide each one of us um, to you, to be a light and a witness to you, to consumed by the things that you're concerned with to be led and guided by you. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Yes, let's see. It's Shay's grandma. Let's sing one last